Hello everyone, Strangely here from Pilot House. Sarah and I just got finished doing a big steampunk convention over the weekend and we're not able to get our live episode edited and up in time. So it's going to be out next week. However, we do have something very special for you. In addition to being a musician and Sarah's co-host for Pilot House, I'm also an aspiring writer. I recently completed my first novel and have decided to release it as an audiobook podcast, putting up one chapter every week. The first chapter is out now. You can subscribe to it over at www.strangelyandfriends.com. But we thought it would be fun, since we're going to be delaying this episode for a week, to give you folks a chance to hear my... I guess, other podcast and just kind of get a little sample of what that's going to be like. So what you're about to hear is the very first episode of my novel, Boschmansier. Pilot House will resume its normal schedule on Monday, March 2nd, when Sarah and I will be talking about the Wild Wild West in front of a live audience at Clockwork Alchemy. So we hope you enjoy all of that, and we'll see you next time. And now, Boschmansier. Hello everybody, welcome to the very first episode of Pochemansier. My name is Strangely Duesberg, and this is sort of an experiment for me. A couple of years ago I started writing this novel, and I recently finished it, and was thinking about the best way to share it with people who might enjoy it. In my writing process, I was reading various drafts to friends, and I found that I really enjoyed reading aloud. A lot of people seemed to like the sound of my voice, so I thought perhaps the best way to self-publish this was to make an audiobook that I could share as a podcast. So once a week, I'll be putting up a new chapter, and you folks can follow along. I do highly recommend listening to these in order, uh, because it's a novel. Uh, some of these chapters do stand alone as kind of their own little miniature stories, but they all do serve a common whole, so I hope that you enjoy taking this journey. A quick note before we get started, uh, the word porchemancier is a fake one that I made up. Uh, the, a lot of this story is based on, upon a particular uh, magical concept, a type of magician called pocketsmen which were common during the early days of vaudeville back in the sort of late 1800s, early 1900s. I wanted to have a fun collective uh, word for this type of magician that was not uh, gender specific, so not pockets men or pockets women, but sort of pockets people. Uh, And since vaudeville is a made up word that's supposed to sound kind of French anyway, I thought, why not make up my own Frenchish word, which means pocket magician? So, uh, porchemancier is not a real word. Pardon, uh, uh, s'il vous plaît, to anybody who actually speaks French. Uh, there is some French in this book that I got a little bit of help translating from a vagabond accordion player who lives in a cave. So, I can't speak to the accuracy of that, but I hope you enjoy it. Uh, yeah, uh, let's get to chapter one. Porchemancier, a novel by Strangely Duesberg. Chapter one. I suppose we should begin with the bookshop. More often than not, a bookshop is a marvelous place to begin. 
a good bookshop, when one can find it, is arguably the best place to begin. Shelf upon shelf of stories stretching away and up, more words than you could possibly hope to read in a lifetime, or even ten, or a thousand. Answers to questions you didn't know you could even ask, questions to beget answers you never knew you needed. Picture now, for the sake of these scribblings, your favorite bookshop. An old, dusty, but not dirty place. A meandering place, the shelving logic archaic, if not downright Byzantine. Comfortable overstuffed chairs tucked into nooks and ladders on casters, and toward the back, nearly obscured by a bluff of paperbacks, a small spiral staircase leading up to yet more books. You hesitate to probe the very limits of the shop, hoping that it is infinite, rather a bit bigger than any mind could hold. The thoughts, emotions, hopes, and dreams of a million characters and minds contained infinitum upon the pressed pulp of a forest taller than any which could ever grow. All the keepers of this place are more fitting than one could ever imagine. A cadre of bespectacled, betweeded folk quietly shuffling about their business with the kind of purpose one often associates with the monastic. Above it all, sitting behind a massive desk, almost as if grown from the ideals of uncounted dreamy bibliophiles, sits the shop's owner, grandmaster, keeper. An ancient curmudgeonly dinosaur. A stalwart holdout from some earlier time before the internet, before computers, perhaps even before the television or telephones. The last of a rare breed. A creature simply too stubborn to die, or perhaps possessed of some sort of knowledge beyond that of the normal ken of the everyday. A mystic of the printed word, wise beyond words and cantankerous in the way that only those of a certain age seem to be able to render charming. A fairy tale wizard made flesh. Or perhaps not. Perhaps the store is young, brazen and scrappy after the fashion of a revolution. This is the fever dream of a youthful acolyte of an old, dying tradition. A lover of books scarce old enough to legally procure the flavored cigarettes and single malt scotch they consider their only vices, though all can tell their true passion. This upstart has carved out a small space, perhaps in an antique mall, a flea market, or the back of a cafe, to begin the lifelong process of buying and selling and trading and swapping and swindling and conniving and giving and sharing that will eventually lead to something akin to the former's vast empire of knowledge, spanning an indeterminate space in some crumbling building in the center of town. But for now, it's small and finite, a collection which the mind can hold, or so one thinks. Again, perhaps not. The truth of these things is so often in the middle of the two as to be a kind of missing link in the evolutionary chain between the mundane and the phantasmagorical, a stopping place between a ripping paper sack and a wondrous Parnassus on wheels, and yet possessed of more spirit and charm than either could hope to conjure, though they occupied the distant ends of an almost infinite spectrum. So, I submit to you that your imagination should find you at one of these places in between, these signposts on the march toward the unrealizable dream, and into this ephemeral station steps a peculiar young person, unaware of just how much is about to change, and how much more will always stay the same. A musical chord sounds as the door of the bookshop opens, 
moved by a gentle push from the person outside. The keeper of the books does not look up. Many people step into the shop on days like this just to get out of the rain for a moment. Then they stand in the open door, startled by the music from overhead. A stringed instrument, something like a violin, has been mounted above the door with a plectrum on the door such that when the door is opened and shut, the instrument is played. The patrons inevitably realize that they are standing in an open doorway and move inside, often with mumbled apologies which are generally met with a nod. The keeper of the books is enjoying the quiet slowness the rain brings, deep in a battered old paperback copy of Mrs. Dalloway, having already finished the chores of the day. After the door has been closed, the keeper looks toward it with a single, lazy eye. The second remains in the book. It is a trick long ago mastered while learning the bookseller's trade. The sodden woman standing there has the air of one who just wanted to get out of the rain, or perhaps browse for a while. The bookseller does not mind this, it means the person is not interested in buying anything, and thus will not be needing any assistance. The rogue eye returns to the page. Several pages later, Martin, for that is the bookseller's name, realizes that the young woman has not moved. Odd, he thinks. The eye turns to the door, this time followed by its companion, interest sparked. The woman is staring, slack-jawed at the books, Martin sets the book down, a casual motion, and places his hands on the counter. An old-time barman regarding the spurred, dusty cowpoke who has just entered, perhaps with vengeance in mind. Eleanor is soaking wet, though does not look cold. Her outsized gray-green overcoat looks to be made of wool, and upon her head rests a thick, cable-knit cap, which gives her an almost nautical air. She is taller than Martin, but the hat and coat make any detail of her overall shape, and even age, difficult to guess. Neither detail is of much concern to Martin in any case. She carries an almost comically small suitcase and an umbrella still folded despite the weather outside. They remain like this, she gawking, Martin watching her, for a few minutes. Martin breaks the silence with a soft clearing of his throat. Her reverie interrupted, Eleanor closes her mouth and looks at Martin with almost the same sense of wonder she's given the books. Martin makes a mental note that his suit is particularly nice today, and then remembers that he is wearing his shopkeeper's apron over it. Once again, she stares. Martin, patient by nature, decides to wait and see what happens. On the heels of this thought comes the realization that this might be off-putting to this peculiar person, Better to make the first move. He raises an eyebrow. Can I help you, miss? She brightens. Eleanor. My name is Eleanor. She removes her hat and places it over the end of the umbrella. With a smile, she leans this against the suitcase next to the counter. Martin chuckles, twirling his waxed mustache without realizing he's doing it. All right, Eleanor. My name's Martin. Can I help you? You seem a bit lost. Oh, is this a shop? Her eyes fly open with a sudden realization. You sell books here. He nods, feeling as if he were the confused one now. Yes, five years now. Can I help you find a particular book, or are you just looking for a recommendation? After a moment's consideration, she takes a deep breath and, speaking slowly, hands clasped, says, Well, you'll have to forgive my consternation of a moment ago. It's just that... 
I wanted to get out of the rain, and I thought it looked friendly in here. I wasn't really paying attention to where I was. I've, I've hardly seen so many in one place. There must be thousands and half a million. Lordy! She exclaims, her voice loud in the hush space. She claps a hand over her mouth as if she has sworn. I'm sorry, I, I didn't mean to shout. It's unbecoming. Or something. So, you are a purveyor of books, and you would like to sell me one. That's it. Though it's less about the sale than the matchmaking. A book is, after all, a love affair. <laughs> How perfectly apt. She claps her hands. I like to think so. Well... I'm not sure. You see, I wasn't planning on buying a new book today, but I have just finished one, so perhaps it's meant to... A sudden rush of cold air draws their attention to the doorway, now standing open, the wind blowing a cold promise of the dark winter days to come. In the portal stands a man, if such can be called a man, a wasted creature, little more than a wild mop of intertwined beard and hair perched atop a collection of rags. The wind at his back brings his smell to their noses as a physical presence, a tangible thing one could almost touch. With trembling hands tipped with bony fingers, the wretch raises up to his full height, and after taking in a ragged breath, lets loose with a proclamation of damnation, a diatribe directed at no one in particular. For your sins, a pestilence of the darkest order shall be visited upon you, your houses, and your children. You know in your hearts the darkness which you have tasted and embraced it, and now shall be given over unto it. Your belly shall be full of the grit and dust, the dark sand of a thousand forgotten kingdoms. You shall be banished from all things, and you will taste the bitter cup of exile. Having so uttered, the crumpled prophet seems to shrink and withdraws back into the trance-like state that seems to be his want. He nods at Martin, almost cordial, and takes his leave. After closing the door with a strength belied by his wasted condition, he turns his face up toward the rain a moment. He smiles and sets off down the street, pausing only to examine the contents of a curbside rubbish bin. Back inside the bookshop, Eleanor stares after him, frozen, open-mouthed for the second time that day. Into the pregnant moment left behind by the proclamation comes the sound of laughter. With a start, Eleanor realizes it is Martin, nigh hysterics, smiling behind his precisely trimmed beard. This baffling reaction so sets her at ease that she manages a weak smile to meet his histrionics. After a further moment, in which he draws out a pocket handkerchief to dab the corners of his eyes, he manages to calm himself down enough to explain his outburst. Goodness, that was delightful, wasn't it? She is surprised. Delightful? Yes, Martin stammers, threatening to descend into laughter again. Oh my goodness, you've got to understand. <laughs> In my business, that happens a lot. In truth, Martin is still as rattled as he has ever been at such pronouncements, though he has become much better at hiding it, finding that laughter is the best way to smooth it over with customers. The first time such a thing occurred, he'd spent the better part of a month looking over his shoulder for winged apes, fiery horses, or a wave of darkness from beyond, inexorable hunger bent on swallowing the world. It does? <laughs> yes. That's Theo, another local business owner. 
He comes in here a couple times a week when things are really dark for him, goes all prophety and visits his friends to warn them of the coming apocalypse or their imminent punishment or whatever. It never amounts to anything, though I must say I envy your perspective. Things like that are most entertaining when one doesn't expect them. I suppose. Wait, did you say he's a business owner? After a fashion, though I can't say what or where. The junk seller told me, I think. Eleanor ponders this for a moment. Something in Martin's tone warns her to let it go for now. Junk seller? She must follow up on that at some point. For now, the words of the disheveled man still haunt her. One more question can't hurt, she thinks. So, that happens all the time. Oh yes, right on schedule, almost like clockwork. I think Martin leaps to his feet, dashes across the room and up a ladder without using his hands. After snatching a book off the top shelf, he leaps backward to land on the floor with scarce a sound. With an expert touch, he opens the book, flicks a couple of pages, then strides back to Eleanor, holding it out. He breathes deeply through his nose and points at a section. Yes. See? The moon is full tonight. Always brings out the crazies. I shouldn't wonder if we're due for an eclipse as well. He twists his beard thoughtfully. She nods as if this all makes perfect sense, and then glances down at the book's cover. But this date book is almost 80 years old. Of course it is. Gotta hold on to things like that. You never know when they'll be useful. Case in point. He gestures in the direction of the ersatz prophet. And you should know that the lunar dates repeat every 76 Julian years. So it's really not all that silly to keep old date books around. Plus, they've got lovely engravings. Look here. He flips a few more pages and hands the book to her. It is now open to a page depicting what appears to be a small group of children being pursued by either an ogre or their grandmother rendered in grotesque fashion. Eleanor looks at the picture for a moment and hands the book back after carefully closing it, her eyes twinkling. Thank you, but I don't think an old calendar is precisely the book for me. Martin nods sagely. Oh yes, I can understand that. So, tell me, what sorts of things do you like to read? And so, another reader meets another bookseller. A friendship is born, and things go on much as they always do in such cases. Books will be read, gushed over, discussed, and loved, but always passed along. A book is not, after all, a marriage, but as Martin said, a love affair, one that shall always be finite, albeit oft revisited, for the reader shall always be seeking that next love, that next book, to understand them better than any person ever could. How often, then, do we find that the book to most understand us then, little understands us now? Thanks so much for listening, everybody. Uh, this is sort of an experiment. So if you liked this, please let me know. Please, please uh, like, share, subscribe, do all the things you do with podcasts so that you'll know when new chapters are coming up. There are about 22 chapters in this. I might be doing some weeks where there's two chapters in a week because some of them are a bit shorter than others. Uh, and also some of them are quite long. So stay tuned. Uh, but yeah, we'll be doing this for the next half a year or so. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at I am strangely, I-A-M-S-T-R-A-N-G-E-L-Y-G-E-L-Y, not L-E-Y. That would be uh, strangly which is an entirely different person. 
you would not believe how many times that typo appears outside theaters and in newspapers and things. Uh, If you like the sound of my voice and would like to hear me singing, I also make music. I recently released a brand new album called A Song in My Pocket. You can find that on Bandcamp. Just go to strangely, S-T-R-A-N-G-E-L-Y, dot bandcamp.com to find out all about it and also hear my other music. As always, you can find out all about me and all of the things I do by going to www.strangelyandfriends.com. You can read my blog and get caught up on where I'll be doing shows next and all that kind of stuff. And I guess I'm on Facebook or something too. I'm I'm everywhere. I have a Pinterest, but I, I don't use it. Maybe I should. If you're interested in seeing what I would do with Pinterest, let me know. And again, please tell everybody you know about this uh, little storytelling podcast. Uh, I just want to tell this story. One last thing. If you are an author of short stories or novels or anything like that, and you're looking for someone to record an audiobook for you, get in touch with me. This is something that I've kind of dreamt of doing for many years. And I think now that I have sort of a basic recording setup, I could start doing that for other people. So if you're not quite up to reading your own audiobook but would like to have someone do that for you let me know 